Welcome to the Bizarre and Fascinating Details podcast. I am Sarah. I've got my special co-host Darcy on the line with me tonight. How are you doing, Darcy? I'm doing all right. How about you? I am excellent. Thank you for asking. This is the podcast, as you folks know, where we talk about all those crazy little bizarre and fascinating details. I just want to let people know we don't talk about every single fact that happens in a case, but we'd like to kind of scoop out the interesting guts of the story and spew that out for you folks that might be interested in it. Uh, Katrina is off this evening studying as usual. She's got a lot going on in her life right now, so I have uh, roped Miss Darcy into joining me for the evening. Um, <laughs> you should be studying. She's probably not. got a drink in hand. No? No drink? Of course. What do you got? I have a beer right now. I'm drinking a Yingling. And then I have um, my whiskey glass set up for after this is finished. Ready to go. <laughs> in yeah, position. Got to. <laughs> I do not have a drink this evening. I'm dieting. So I'm oh. like, it's the worst. Absolutely the worst. Um, tonight's episode, we're going to deal with a topic that is very controversial um, and has come up in the news a lot lately. Uh, we're going to talk about some domestic violence and some spouse-on-spouse murder cases, spouse-on-spouse homicide. Um, it is a very touchy subject for a lot of folks out there, and we are going to try to address it in sort of a respectful and tactful manner. But obviously, there's a lot going on out there in the news right now uh, with respect to this topic. So we felt that it was kind of important to bring it up on the show and talk about some of the details so that if by any chance there is somebody out there listening to this that is experiencing this, we encourage you to get help, to seek assistance, to talk to the authorities, to do something for yourself to get out of that situation because it is terrifyingly scary in many respects. And I don't know about you, Darcy, but uh, personally speaking, I have experienced domestic violence on several occasions, um, both with step parents and in relationships myself. Um, It has been a long time since it happened, but I did have a couple of relationships where I was with men that were abusive and they weren't I think I think sort of overtly abusive in many ways that people talk about in on social media or in the news where you know he's beating up on me or that sort of a thing, um, and that does not mean that that sort of abuse is any worse than verbal abuse or psychological abuse or any other kind of abuse that you might suffer in a relationship. But mine was definitely verbal abuse where I was being called names and sort of treated like I was nothing. And so I know what it feels like, and, I, and it just tears you down bit by bit every day. This first case that we're going to talk about, though, is I'm not entirely sure that this spouse could have ever imagined that something like this would happen to her, um, just because all, by all accounts, her husband was pretty mild-mannered, and I, I don't think she really experienced a significant amount of temper from this gentleman, but we're going to talk about the the Watts family murders with Chris Watts. Um, this has been on the news a lot lately, and I've been kind of wanting to dig into it now for a while. Darcy, do you know a lot about this, or is it kind of something that you've just sort of kept on the this peripheral vision? <laughs> Um, I've seen it and I've read about it here and there, but I'm definitely um, not as well versed on it. So I'm excited to get into it. 
So we are going to jump right in. Um, I'm going to read a little bit off Wikipedia just so people can get some background as to what exactly happened. And then we will dig into some of the more crazy details that were involved with this case. Um, I listened to a couple of podcasts that actually talked about this um, not too long ago um, and learned some details that I did not know after having read some of the articles that I read in the news. But the Watts family homicides, and I got this information from Wikipedia initially, and I've got a couple of other different articles from ABC and NBC that sort of talk about some of the um, facts and events surrounding this particular um, murder case. But the Watts family homicides occurred in the early morning of August 13, 2018. While being interviewed by the Frederick Police Department, Christopher Lee Watts admitted to killing his pregnant wife, Shannon Shannon Watts. Um, I've heard people pronounce it in several different ways, but I think the correct pronunciation is Shannon. Um, who was born? I've only ever read it, so I always just assumed it was Shannon, but I didn't realize it, it was. It looks like Shannon, Shannon, but I believe that it's Shannon from everything I've okay. heard kind of on the news and, and what I've heard um, other people pronounce it as. But she was 34 years old when she died, which is very, very young. Um, but evidently, she was killed in their home in Colorado. He smothered, he strangled her and then smothered their daughters, Bella four and Celeste three at his job site shortly afterwards. He then disposed of his daughter's bodies in oil tanks and buried his wife in a shallow grave at the job site. Watts pleaded guilty on November 6, 2018 to multiple counts of first degree murder. He was sentenced to five life sentences without the possibility of parole, three to be served consecutively and two to be served concurrently. So... A little bit of background on this particular couple. The two were natives of Spring Lake and Aberdeen, North Carolina. So they were some Southern folks. Um, They had been married for six years and had two daughters. Um, They were very, very young, which is very sad to me. But they they lived in a five-bedroom home in Frederick, Colorado at the time of the murder that had been purchased in 2013. They had moved from North Carolina and been in the Colorado area for only a few years. Um, They had declared bankruptcy back in 2015. Chris was employed by Anadarko Petroleum, and Shanann was an independent representative of a multi-level marketing company selling a product called Thrive. At the time of her death... Oh, I've heard of Thrive. It's like yeah, a, um, it's a, a dieting thing. Dieting patch and sort of a lifestyle plan. Yeah. Um, I, and after I read this information and knew that she was sort of selling this product, now it seems like that it pops up a ton now, that particular product name. Yeah. Um, but at the time yeah. of her death, she was 15 weeks pregnant with a son they planned to name Nico Lee Watts. So that in itself is extremely tragic. Um, yeah. But Miss Shanann returned home from a business trip to Arizona at about 1.48 a.m. on August 13, 2018. She received a ride home from a friend and colleague. Later that day, Shanann and the two children were reported missing by the, the same friend, Nicole Atkinson, who had become concerned when Shanann missed a scheduled OBGYN appointment and failed to return text messages. After Shanann missed a business meeting, Atkinson went to Watts' home at approximately 12.10 p.m., when the doorbell and knocks went unanswered, Atkinson notified Chris and called the police department. Officers arrived to conduct a welfare check around 1.40 p.m. Chris, who had arrived home from work, talked with officers and discussed ways to locate his missing family. During the welfare check, Chris also gave the police permission to search the house, which was empty. They discovered her purse, phone, wedding ring, and keys inside. Her car and the children's car seats were also in the house. 
Um, the FBI and the Bureau of Investigation joined the investigation the next day. Chris gave an interview to Denver TV station outside of his house pleading for his family's return. Investigators and cadaver dogs were seen on the property in the interview. So I want to play a portion of that interview because to me, whenever I hear this, I am blown away by how nonchalant this dude sounds. But you got to believe that knowing what we know now that he killed them himself, it just blows me away that he would be just so it, you can, it sounds guilty as fuck, but I'll let you yeah. be the judge of it. L- listen to just a little portion of it here. Right now, I don't even want to just like throw anything out there. Like I hope that she's somewhere safe right now and with the kids, but I mean, could she event? Could she just taken off? I don't know. But if somebody has her and they're not safe, like I want them back now. Like that, that, that's what's in my head. Like if they're safe right now, they're going to come back. But if they're not safe right now, that's what, that's the not knowing part. Like, if they're not safe, I, I, last night I was I had every light in the house on. I was hoping that I would just get just ran over by the kids running in the door and just like barrel rushing me, but it didn't happen. And it was just a traumatic night trying to be here. The sort of situation that sort of started this whole thing was he was having an affair. Um, I was going to ask what because it, it's usually something like that. There's there's usually an affair that that kind of instigates this well the guy is super douchey to begin with he was on tinder evidently and there have been several women that women that came forward and said that he'd met up with them at like a chick-a-fil-a parking lot and like hooked up with them and it was just super sleazy and kind of gross and they're actually how old old is he he's 33 so i was gonna say he sounds exactly like like the douchey southern frat boys that i went to college with like he sounds oh yeah just Exactly like in spades, that. In spades. Total douche. Yeah. And there have also been men, several men that have come forward and said that he had homosexual relationships with them in addition to it. Really? So not only is he like confused about his sexuality, but like he's going through this major crisis. He, the thing is, Shanann, their history together, she had gone through a really, really rough divorce, right? And it was about 2010 okay. that she had gone through this divorce and then she found out she had lupus. So she had some significant Jesus. health problems that she was experiencing during this time. And she was sort of single. had just gone through this divorce. Her friends on Facebook hooked her up with this guy and they went on a date and ended up falling in love and getting married. So essentially she trusted this guy with her life and he sure. fucking killed her and their babies. And she was pregnant when it, when he killed her. So like he killed her unborn boy, which is just to me, like, how could you fucking kill your unborn child as well? Why not just get a divorce? Well, I mean, that's kind of like the basis for all of this, right? Like, for some, for whatever reason, they think that this is an, an easier way out. They don't, maybe it's a financial thing. They don't want to pay child support or something. I mean, alimony, I don't know. But, like, for whatever reason, they, they would rather do that like something in their brains fucked up to where this is a more rational decision than just hiring a fucking lawyer. Yeah. No, I just, I don't understand it. So he starts having an affair with this woman that he works with. She was a coworker. Um, and during this whole time, he's talking to her on the phone. He's texting her. He's meeting up with her. He's taking her to baseball games and spending money. Does on she her. know he's married? She knows he's married and she, yeah. he told her they were separating. Mm. And that it, this whole that their marriage had fallen apart and they had grown apart and that he had had conversations with her and told her, the wife, that he wanted to split up. 
He said he initially claimed that when she came home from her business trip, because she was this woman was Shanann was trying to save her marriage. She had sent him a counseling, a marriage counseling book while she was in North Carolina and had it sent back to the house. He threw it away. They found it in the garbage can unopened from Amazon. So he was not interested whatsoever in repairing right. his marriage, but she was. She was fighting for it. But he initially said that she came home from her business trip and they got into a heated argument and he told her he wanted to separate, that he was done with their marriage and that she... Should was, said this or is this what he's telling This is what he was telling people initially, that okay. he came home, that she came home from the business trip, he was already home, and she, they got into this huge argument and she was devastated that he told her he didn't want to be with her anymore and that she went in and killed the kids and he heard her on the baby monitor because he'd gone downstairs for some weird reason, heard her on the baby monitor, went upstairs and saw that she had killed their children. In, That's never happened. That in has sort never of happened. revenge against him for killing or for saying that she that he didn't want to be with her anymore. So she killed her babies to get back at him, right? So super super douchey to say that not only did you know she run off, but she killed my kids. Like she's just a right. bad person or whatever. When in fact this woman was trying to save her marriage and doing everything she could to try to make things work with this psychotic killer, but. Right. He eventually ended up confessing, and then there's been a lot of stuff on the news lately. I want to read part of the article after he confessed, because it is just literally heartbreaking. Um, <clears throat> the Colorado man accused of killing his pregnant wife and two young daughters confessed to chilling new details um, about how he carried out the crimes, according to a report released by authorities on Thursdays. On Thursday. This was last week that this article came out. Watts, who started having an affair with another woman the summer of the killings, told investigators the crimes began when his wife, Shanann Watts, said she knew he had someone else. Watts told his wife he didn't love her, and according to Watts, Shanann threatened to keep his daughters from him. So she may have said something like, yeah, you're never going to see your kids again, or I'm not going to let you see the yeah. kids. Or She may have said that, but even if she did, she still didn't deserve to be killed. But, right, and it's, I mean, it's likely that was just a heat of the moment kind of a thing. It's right. not like a, exactly. she probably would have calmed down and been like, no. like. <clears throat> well, how is she supposed to out, react you know? when he's telling her he cheated on her and he's a total right. douchebag? But Watts right. told investigators he then put both of his hands around Shanann's neck and strangled her at their home in their bed, according to the report. Every time I think about it, I'm just like, did I know I was going to do that before I got on top of her, he told investigators, according to the report. It just felt like there was already something in my mind that was implanted, that I was going to do it, and when I woke up that morning, it was going to happen, and I had no control over it, he said. Oh, so that sounds like the makings of an insanity plea. Yeah. He said his wife never fought back or screamed, according to the report. Well, he can't plead insanity because he's already been convicted. He pled guilty so that he could avoid the death penalty. Oh, so, okay. Oh, okay. But the, he's telling the details now. Just uh, God right. knows why. But Watts told investigators his four-year-old daughter, Bella, walked into his bedroom holding her blanket and asked what was wrong with her mom. He told her that Shanann didn't feel well. Watts wrapped his wife face down in a bedsheet and tried to carry her downstairs, but lost his grip and ended up pulling her down the stairs. Bella watched her father drag her mother down the stairs and began to cry and asked what's wrong with mommy, Watts told investigators. Watts then backed his truck into the driveway, put his wife's body into the back seat on the floorboard, and when he came back inside, his three-year-old daughter, Celeste, was awake. Watts told investigators he put both daughters in the back of his truck on the bench seat, and he said Bella asked, is mommy okay? Bella and Celeste each had a blanket with them, and Celeste had a stuffed animal. 
Watson started to drive to the oil site where he worked, and during the ride, his daughters dozed off on and off and laid on each other's laps. At the oil site, Watts told police he took Shanann Watts' body out of the truck and laid her on the ground near where he ultimately buried her. Bella and Celeste were in the truck and asked, What are you doing to Mommy? the report said, but he doesn't remember what he told them. Watts told police he then put Celeste's blue Yankees blanket over her head and strangled her in the back seat. Oh, my God. Bella was sitting next to Celeste at the time but didn't say anything. Watts then told police he took the three-year-old's body to the oil tank and dropped her inside. When Watts <gasps> returned to the truck, Bella asked in her soft voice, if the same thing is going to happen to me as Cece, he told police. Watts told investigators he then strangled the four-year-old with the same blanket. Bella fought back the best she could, according to investigators. Bella's last words were, Daddy, no, Watts told police, according to the report. Like, what kind of disgusting monster oh my would gosh. do shit like this? Watts told, Watts told investigators he hears those two words every time he closes his eyes. Well, he fucking should for the rest Good. of his life. fuck you. Watts told police he dropped Bella's body into a separate oil tank before burying his wife's body. Okay, so essentially, he killed his, strangled his two daughters, smothered them with blankets in the back of his truck, and dropped them in separate oil tanks. And the opening to these oil tanks was eight inches in diameter. Eight inches! The widest part of his daughter's shoulders was nine. Mm. So essentially he stuffed her in there and she had quite a bit of bodily damage when they found her that had been scraped when he'd shoved her in there. Initially he planned on putting his wife in there too, but he couldn't lift her up to carry her up the ladder. So he ended up burying her in a shallow grave. And the thing is, I don't know if it was when he strangled her or if, during the course of decomposition or her body, you know, the last signs of life leaving it, she expelled the fetus during that, that portion. And it was in yeah. the grave with her. Yeah. Just appalling. So his truck was actually rigged with a GPS and they knew that he'd gone out to that site. So investigators were already out there before he confessed to this crime, scanning it and looking for the bodies, knowing that he had done something with them. Because his neighbor conveniently had a camera focused in on the back of Chris Watts' house. So he came in and out before he left for work. He pulled his truck up into the driveway and came in and out of the house three times with three separate bags and tried to tell everyone that that was his work gear that he was putting into the truck. That was not the case. He had taken, he was taking them out into the truck and tried to hide it. And then he tried to say, Oh, it's normal for me to pull my truck in and load it every morning. And the neighbor was like, um, I don't think so. We've seen you out there dozens of times and (laughs) you never pull your truck into the driveway. First of all, because you didn't want to get oil stains on the driveway. And second of all, Really, motherfucker? The only thing they ever saw him take into his truck was, like, his lunch bag. Not, like, big, huge bags full of shit. But they knocked him down. The investigators went out there and started looking. He went into the police station to take a polygraph, which he failed. Of course. I know that we talked about this in an early episode about polygraph tests not being admissible in court. But that was basically their ammunition to get him to confess. So he comes in there, the lie detector woman who's giving him the test is kind of flirting with him a little bit. And essentially I want to play the tape of it because it's so funny when he tells, when she tells Chris Watts, he failed the polygraph test. He's like, what? 
No way. Does he genuinely think he's going to pass it? Yeah, because most of these oh, douchebags think that they're smarter than everyone and that they yeah. can pass it. And the thing is, you know, if you're truly a psychopath or like a, a liar, like a professional liar, sometimes you can pass it. But this guy was not. I just need to get this off my chest. Like, I just need to tell you what happened. We're not, we're not here to play games. We're not here to do any of that with you. We just want to know what happened. So can you start from the beginning and tell us what happened? Everything that I've, just, I've told you, I did not lie on this polygraph. I am, I don't know how much I could, I could tell you right now. Like, I did not. It's, it's, not even, it's not even an option right now because you did not pass the polygraph. I so I know you were being deceptive. So that's not even an issue, an issue right now. The issue right now is what happened to Shanann, Bella, and Celeste. That's the issue. <laughs> wow! Unbelievable. She sounds awesome. She's just like, no, you you, you lied. We know you lied. So don't try to cover up your tracks. Like we're not even talking about that anymore. We've moved past. We're that. done. We're past that. So <laughs> I think what makes this case so interesting is the fact that it is so publicized. I think in many other cases of domestic violence and some of the more famous cases back um, that have been covered by the news media. We didn't have this much coverage. Literally every single part of this is, you can find it on YouTube. You can find everything from his interviews before they found the bodies, before he confessed, the actual lie detector test. You can find every single portion of this online. You can even find video clips of her talking, his wife talking before she was murdered. Just lots and lots of stuff. I mean, she was in love with this man, like with every part of her being. And she thought he was, was just there, amazing. Was there any history of domestic violence no, prior to this? None, nothing. Now what came up through some sources after she disappeared was that she knew something was wrong with her marriage and she had kind of confided in some of her friends and told them, Hey, you know, our marriage isn't doing that great. And shortly after she revealed the news about being pregnant, which she did on Facebook Live, and you can hear his, oh my God, do you want to hear the, you got to hear the clip yeah, of I him. Yeah, I've heard about this, but I haven't heard it. You, you just, you hear it and you're like, oh my God, are you fucking kidding me? Because she's like telling him on Facebook Live in front of the world that, hey, you know, I'm pregnant, I'm going to have another baby. And he's like, oh, I guess if you want it, it happens. <laughs> you're just like what the fuck he's walking into the house Sweet, it is a <laughs> I like that shirt really? really that's awesome so pink means that's just the test. I know. It just says the pink is going to be girls. I don't know. Just the test. That's awesome. She's doing this all on live video. Guess, guess, guess when you want to see what happens. Ew. Right? It just sounds yeah. so like douchey. Like, I guess when yeah. you want it, it happens. Now, I will say, like, I do have friends who, they have... A lot. They have six kids, and I think when when she told her husband that, that she was pregnant with the third, I think she tells him, you know, hey, I'm pregnant, and he goes, I like kids. So like, I don't know how much I can judge that response because I I've had a friend who like says that, but I mean, 
they have six kids, so it, yeah. it wasn't, it wasn't like, uh, yeah, it didn't, it doesn't seem like it was that uncomfortable. That sounded very clearly uncomfortable. I just don't understand how people can run around behind the scenes with somebody else telling them that they're going to build a life with them in the same way as you're building, you're already building a life with someone that you have a life with, with babies and a house and like history and you're running around doing the same thing to somebody else. I just don't understand how you can do that with such, it's just unbelievable. Like he seems so disgenuine. Yeah. Um, Cause you hear her like revealing the thing and, and you're just like, Oh no. Like she's jazzed and he's yeah, clearly, he's not, clearly yeah. like super unenthused about it. Here it is. Like do it so well and convince both so, women that you're into them. Let me tell you. So my, I went to high school in Birmingham and like our rival high school was like really, really good at football, won state championships like every year, whatever. And then all of a sudden they fired their football coach when I was in college. So it'd been a couple of years, they fired their football coach. Um, and it turns out he had a whole ass secret family in Georgia. Oh my God. A secret family. That's crazy. Yeah. So it, I don't, I mean, it's super rare and it's super bonkers, but, but not, not the craziest thing. Of. No, I just, this guy that you could do that. And you know, they said yeah. that her, the hyoid. hyoid, her hyoid bone in her neck was not broken. And usually yeah. it's broken when you struggle, right? So it's, it's an indicator of strangulation, but it is also not uncommon for it to not be fractured in strangulation. And it can, if the body has been um, exposed to elements, there are some reasons why it can get fractured in the elements, like animals and various things like well, that. So like if you're looking not. at skeletal remains, right. So, so, so I wonder if not, you put a pillow over her. Usual. I wonder if you put a pillow yeah. over and strangled her that way it's, too, because it wouldn't break in that instance. Yeah. It's, it's not super unusual for it to not break in strangula- strangulation cases, but pretty much the only like cause that I'm familiar with for a fracture to occur is due to strangulation type trauma. Well, he said she didn't fight. But you can't like look at it and say he said she didn't fight. That she basically laid there and let her let him do that. I I just I I Hmm. find that very hard to believe because his daughter his daughter showed his daughter clearly showed signs of fighting him. She bit like almost bit her tongue off because she was struggling against him. The oldest daughter. And it it does take a while to strangle somebody. I don't like know. minutes. It's not like an easy thing. No, I can't imagine that it would be that way in any way. And he's right. not a super big guy, but I just, I don't know. I, th- there's some interesting stuff online about this case too, because there are people that speculate that the girlfriend was involved, that this whole thing had been planned, that they saw oh, you know, shadows wow. of people um, on the videotape when he was loading the car and that somehow the girlfriend had been involved in this in some way. Are they looking at her or are they just kind yeah. of, um, I think that she was ruled out though, um, because they didn't have anything concrete with her. Um, but okay. you know, they confiscated her phone and looked through all the text messages and there was all kinds of crazy stuff on there. They were looking for an apartment together. Evidently she says she was helping him look for an apartment for himself for after he split up with his wife. But you know, she was looking up, they showed her internet browsing history and, 
Yeah. Like, or all of her texts to her girlfriend saying, oh, I met this amazing man and he's just wonderful and blah, blah, blah. And he's really like, does the kind of sex that I like and he treats me like a princess and just very like a ton of texts about her bragging about how amazing he is and what great shape he was in and blah. I mean, she probably wasn't bragging. She probably genuinely thought. Yeah, but he's like, living them. at home with his wife. And you're like, oh, yeah, I'm so excited for him to leave her and come be with me. Yeah, I also know somebody who has been in that situation. And it was also he was not separated, but he was telling my friend that he was. It's I think it's one of those things where if you want to believe it, you'll find a way to believe it, you know? Yeah, well, I think what's interesting about these is they sort of highlight again. And I've always kind of felt like when I hear these cases about these missing women in the news, which there have been many lately, I automatically think, okay, where's the spouse? Where's the boyfriend? Because in my mind, they're always the first in line. Absolutely. I feel like the evidence actually backs that up. And when I say that, um, I'm reading off an article. I found this particular one on the article on the Atlantic.com, and it says over half the killings of American women are related to intimate partner violence, and the vast majority of the victims dying at the hands of a current or former romantic partner. This was a new report released by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. The CDC analyzed the murders of women in 18 states from 2003 to 2014, finding a total of 10,018 deaths. Of those, 55% were intimate partner violence related, meaning they occurred at the hands of a former or current partner or the partner's family or friends. In 93% of those cases, the culprit was a current or former romantic partner. The report also bucks strangers in dark alleys narrative, common to televised crime Mm -hmm. dramas. Strangers perpetuated only 16% of all female homicides, fewer than acquaintances, and just slightly more than parents. So that is frightening. Yeah. And it's one of those things where when you, when a woman goes missing and they're interviewing her boyfriend, husband, whatever, and he says, we got in a fight and she left the house to cool off. No, she fucking didn't. Or like, we got in a fight and I just had to go drive somewhere. No, you fucking didn't. Like, it's just so obvious. Like, no, that's not what happened. Oh, she texted me a few days later. No, she didn't. You know what I mean? It's terrifying. On average, three women are killed every day by their spouses or domestic partners. That's three women every day. Yeah. Over half of those are killed using a gun. One in four women and one in seven men will experience severe physical violence by an intimate partner in their lifetime. One in 10 women in the U.S. will be raped by an intimate partner in her lifetime. It's just, it's horrifying. Yeah. An estimated 9.7% of women and 2.3% of men have been stalked by an intimate partner during their lifetime. Nearly half of all women and men in the U.S. will experience psychological aggression by an intimate partner in their lifetime. And over half of female and male victims of rape, physical violence, and or stalking by an intimate partner experience some form of intimate partner violence for the first time be- uh, before 25 years of age. So it's, it's prevalent in every single freaking part of our society. And stalking is really hard to deal with from a legal standpoint because they haven't done anything to you. They haven't necessarily threatened you, um, but just being 
physically near you, you know, is a threat in itself. And it's not always recognized as that. And you pretty much have to wait until they do something violent toward you before you can get anything done about it. And then even then, you know, what good's a restraining order if they're just going to kill you, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think part of what makes this particular case for me, the Chris Watts, the Watts family homicide case, very scary is that I don't think she had any indication that there was any risk, any threat whatsoever from this man. They'd been together for eight years. I mean, she thought she knew him and clearly she did not. Right. Um, Watts was arrested late August 15th, 2018. According to the arrest affidavit, Watts failed a polygraph test and subsequently, we played that video for you, subsequently confessed to murdering Shanann. He asked to speak to his father before making the confession and according to the affidavit, Watts was having an affair and claimed to have been asked, claimed to have asked for separation from his wife, but lied about being with her, this other woman. During the investigation, Watts claimed Shanann had strangled the children in response to his request for separation and in a fit of rage, he strangled her and then transported the three bodies to an oil site where he worked. The bodies were found by the authorities on the property of Watts' former employer on August 16th. Watts had been fired from his job August 15th, the day of his arrest. The children's bodies were found in oil tanks while Shannon's was buried in a shallow grave nearby. He was charged with five counts of first-degree murder, including an additional one count per child as cited death of a child who had not yet attained 12 years of age and the he got also convicted of unlawful termination of a pregnancy because Colorado does not have um, laws on the books that consider murdering, uh, killing a fetus murder. Right. And then he also got three counts of tampering with the deceased human body. Just, bleh, what a douche. He pled guilty to the murders November 6th. The death penalty was not put forward by the district attorney on the request of her family because they didn't want any further deaths. They were like, you know, yeah. we already experienced this. We don't want to be responsible for that additional as well. Um, yeah. So he basically did a plea deal, which gave him life in prison without the possibility of parole. And then interestingly enough, on December 3rd, 2018, Watts was moved to an out-of-state location due to security concerns. He was moved to the Dodge Correctional Institution, a maximum security prison in Wisconsin to serve the remainder of his life sentences because he was being threatened and harassed. I mean, but yeah, I'm sure he said that many, many men had come up to him and told him they were going to kill him and threaten, you know, severe violence and whatnot. I mean, him. there's for sure like a hierarchy of crimes in prison and, you know, violence against children is the lowest of the lowest. And the way he did it, it was just, I mean, not that any death of any spouse or any child is better than any other death, but like, really, your child is sitting there pleading for you not to hurt her and you're still listening to her and you smother her with a blanket, like. After you've done it twice already. Sick. And you just keep going. monster. And she's got this fetus in her stomach and you kill her, like, just get a divorce, you fucking douchebag. Or leave. You know? Right. And he, I I don't know. I don't see how somebody could have like a moment like that where they just feel like they're going to get away with doing it, killing somebody. Yeah. I don't understand the psychology of that either because, I mean, especially in a a domestic situation, they're obviously going to look at the partner first. That's, I mean, you, I don't know how many times you need to hear that on a crime TV show before you 
before that sinks in. Like that's obviously the first place they go. And you know, like they're not going to look into your history, your past, your cell phone, your computer, like come the fuck on really. So evidently on his phone, he had a hidden app, which had all of his communication with his mistress, Nicole and like nude pictures and like all kinds of other stuff. He had an app on his phone and he just didn't think that they were going to be smart enough to figure that out. You, you said something really interesting too. Um, at the very beginning before you played his press conference that, um, there were cadaver dogs already on the scene. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting because they clearly, cause there's two different types of dogs, right? So there's search and rescue mm-hmm. and there's cadaver dogs. And so if they were actually cadaver dogs, that's really interesting because that means the police already they knew had a hunch or information or something. Well, and, and my, it's my understanding too, that the mother-in-law, his mother-in-law had contacted police and said, Hey, we have a feeling this, that Chris is involved in this and that right. we think he would bury him somewhere with oil involved. And so they had looked into his, the truck that he had, it was a work truck and it had a GPS locator on it that tracks every single movement that he made. And it tracked his movement out into the oil field that day. So they knew, I mean, the police aren't fucking stupid. And the fact that Chris right. didn't know that there was a GPS on the truck. Are you that dumb? I, I, I mean, yeah, I don't know how you, especially with cars that are made these days. Like, I, don't they all have some kind of capacity to be tracked? Everywhere? Yeah, it's a work truck. It's not I like know. it was his personal vehicle and he was like, oh, hey, I'm just going to jet on over here to this oil field. Like, yeah, you got to know you're going to be tracked. And his cell phone was with him. Like, come on, dude. Really? I guess when you're when you're in that situation, you're not thinking about those things and like then, you're just trying to get rid of the bodies right because like you don't want to be caught with the bodies he just dropped the babies into separate oil tankers too like they're not going to find that i mean i get you know you right. bury a body and you know maybe they won't find that one but really but doesn't oil preserve like isn't that the whole deal with the la brea tar pits maybe he thought it was gonna corrode them i don't know it just is stupidity it's absolute yeah. like insanity and stupidity to think yeah. that you could get away with that and to separate the girls too. Like, ugh. Yeah. yeah. It's horrific. And just the stuff that he had gotten away with. And, you know, his wife did travel quite a bit for work and he had been on Tinder. He had been having these affairs with these other women um, and sleeping around. And, and he's been accused of, having male lovers as well as female lovers. So he's clearly out there being extremely promiscuous and the wife has got to know something is up, you know, and she had well, confided. I, I mean, you said she traveled a lot. Well, she had confided in coworkers too, that she knew something was going on that he oh, wasn't the same yeah. and that, you know, he wasn't loving as loving as he had been in the past. And she thought something was up, but I don't think she really knew the depth of his disgusting cheating and lying and whatnot. Yeah. So, any case, I think that it, we've pretty much beat this one. Uh, I don't really think there's anything else to say for this. The guy's in jail now. He did something yeah. extremely awful. Tried to say that it was a spur of the moment thing, that it just popped up and he was frustrated and he was angry and it all came out. But the bottom line is he killed his family and he's a douche and he's going to rot in prison. Yeah. That's. That's fucking heavy. Speaking of douches, <laughs> I think you've yeah, got another right? douche for us. In a yeah, this very, is going to sound very, like very similar type of case. 
yeah, this is going to sound a lot like deja vu. So we're going to talk about Scott Peterson. Okay. Peterson. I have actually heard a couple of different podcasts talk about this, this gentleman. And I have heard a lot of shit about him, um, both in the media and documentaries. So let's dig in a little bit and really talk about some of those bizarre and crazy details that this case involves. All right. So um, Lacey and Scott Peterson met while he was working at a restaurant in Morro Bay, California. Um, They were both students at Cal Poly San San Luis Obispo. Okay. Um, And... As she basic, she gave him her number, and as soon as she went home, she told her mom she just met the man she was going to marry. So she knew immediately that she was going to marry this guy. Um, so on their first date, they actually went deep-sea fishing, um, mm, and they dated for two years. I know. That does sound like a fun first date, but this doesn't turn out great. Um, so they dated for two years before they moved in together. Um and they marry, and they eventually move to Lacey's hometown of Modesto in 2000. So she was working part-time as a substitute teacher, and he worked for, um, like, a U.S. Um, subsidiary of some European fertilizer company. He, ma- he majored in, like, some kind of, like, horticultural business or something. Um, so that's what he was doing. So in late 2000 or mid-2002 they discover that Lacey's pregnant and this is going to be their first kid. And she's due in February, 2003. Um, and the last time anybody sees her definitively was December 23rd, 2002. Um, Lacey and Scott went to her sister's salon so that Scott could get a haircut. Um, and that was in the afternoon. And the last time anybody actually spoke to her was that same night on the 23rd at 8 30 PM. Okay. So, that's the last time we know she was alive. Um, so she's reported missing on December 24th, 2002. And it's not clear. There's conflicting reports about who actually reported her missing. One, one source said ABC, or ABC news said that, um, Scott reported her missing, but then some other sources, I think the Associated Press reported that Scott called her parents or her stepdad and mom and her stepdad's the one who actually called the police. Um, so immediately, because obviously she is, um, eight months, eight months pregnant, um, there's a heavy police involvement right away because she is either in need of medical treatment or she's going to soon be needing medical treatment. Um, or yeah, so everybody's involved right away. And one of the first things that they find out is the house across the street from them was burgled. Um, and somebody, that's such a weird word. Burgled, yeah. And somebody, um, I believe it was a relative of Scott, said that you know Lacey was the type of person that if she saw something, she would have gotten involved in some way and maybe said something, and maybe this is what happened to her. Um, that's one of the earliest you know theories that are posited. But oh, the bum theory, you know, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, even if even if that's the case, even if you are that person, I'm sorry, you're not doing that when you're eight months pregnant. You're just not. Like, you're thinking of protecting yourself and your baby. Wasn't that Scott's theory, though? I thought he put forward that, you know, there had been a local bomb that she had been, you know, nice to or something. And he was afraid that that bomb had done something to, to leave. I didn't come across that one. But, I mean, there's so many things that they tried to say that I wouldn't put it past them. Um, but this was specifically the house across the street. And so 
Um, the police department later came out and said, no, this actually happened. This burglary happened actually on the 26th, not the 24th. But there okay. was a reporter um, who was at the scene when they say that that you know burglary happened, and he said, no, there was nobody there. Like I was, I was at the scene when they're saying this happened. So a little bit questionable. Um, before he reported Lacey missing, he washed his clothes. Cause you know, that day, the whole thing was he has an alibi for that day. Cause he was at the Marina and he was fishing all day in the San Francisco Bay on new, on Christmas so, Eve on the 23rd. No, you're right. On the 24th. Yeah. Yes. Wouldn't you just appear on so, the 24th? Yeah. And so he's fishing all day. And he claims that he got wet, whatever. And so he comes home immediately and washes his clothes. So maybe, I don't know. Um, and you know, the police are immediately looking at the home for evidence and everything. And there's no physical evidence of the home. There's no physical evidence at Scott's work. Um, they, what they do find though, is one strand of Lacey's hair. It was like wrapped in a pair of rusted pliers. Oh God. Yeah, so that's kind of the only information that they have. So immediately this thing blows up. It becomes a huge national story. And I actually saw, and I only watched half of it. I didn't get to finish it. But um, A&E had a thing, a special, a couple years ago, I think is when it came out. And it was kind of saying that Scott was innocent and that he was railroaded by the police. They were only looking at him. They didn't bother looking at anybody else. But from what I've seen, which again is only half of it, it they don't actually provide any evidence that to say that it wasn't him. They just kind of say, well, there were people that saw her missing or, or saw her walking her dog after supposedly she was missing. And like the police didn't talk to those people. And so to me, like that's not that's not enough. Well, that's how he discovered just, she was missing, right? Because the dog came back and it, it was on its leash and it didn't she was nowhere to be found and he said she was out right. walking people, the dog. People said that they saw the dog um walking without with a leash, but there was nobody walking the dog, obviously. And there were actually two neighbors who saw the dog at different times and put the dog in the backyard. Yeah. And then when Scott came home, he said the backyard was empty. Yeah. It so just somebody's letting the dog out again. You know what I mean? Like it's not, that's not. So anyways, let the but, dog out. <laughs> Scott Peterson yeah. did. Clearly. So, <laughs> so, you know, from the jump, everybody's looking at, at Scott because his behavior in the immediate days after is, is pretty odd. He's not too concerned. He doesn't sound emotional. Should we um, play some videos you know, when they interviewed him? Oh man. Do a little There's, audio I, tape before, there, there, before yeah, they discovered it. And it's, He's yeah, just I mean, so he's flat. Just, yeah, he's just having a conversation. He's not, First there's nothing all, to it. Describe um, okay, he does not polygraph. That's been absolutely terrible as it is for everyone. I mean, you see us in press conference. You haven't seen me as much in the media, but you see our families and the raw emotion that's out there and the grief, um, the frustration. You know, we go through a range of emotions from anger to frustration to grief. For me, it's uh, a. Uh, it comes at different times during the day. Two weeks ago, I knew exactly what to do. I'd go to the volunteer center at the Red Lion, and open up the center and wait for the volunteers to come and work on things, and, and then I'd go out and put up flyers. I knew exactly what to do, and that was going to bring Lacey home. Um, and now I don't know exactly what to do, and that's 
It's so frustrating. That's the hardest part. I mean, we have a, a core group volunteers. Still. Really? That's the hardest part? Your wife and your fucking baby yes. to be are missing. And the hardest part for you is I'm bored. I don't know what to do. I'm bored. I don't know what to do. I think everybody sitting at home wants the answer to the same question. Did you murder your wife? No, no. I did not. And I had absolutely nothing to do with her disappearance. And, and use the word murder. And yeah, I mean, that is a, a possibility. He's got the fucking creepiest face. Um, it's not one yeah, we're ready to accept, and it creeps in my mind late at night and early in the morning. And during the day, all we can think about is the right resolutions to find her well. But as you know, increasingly, in the public, fucking Diane suspicion Sawyer. has turned on you. <laughs> I was going to say, yes. is this the Diane Sawyer yes. line? Did you ever hit her? Did you ever injure her? No, no. My God, no. Um, violence towards women is... Unapproachable. It is the most disgusting. He's like act smiling through this whole. Um, and I know movie. that yeah. uh, it's the creepy. suspicion has turned to me. And it's um, it's turned to me one because I'm her husband, and that's a natural thing. And I've heard all the statistics on all the news shows about that being, you know, someone that uh, a husband, ex-husband, a boyfriend that is statistically. One who would be responsible for her disappearance. And you were. <laughs> you right. the point. It's just, ugh. I, I, yeah, I watch so these in, in that Diane Sawyer interview, too, he also at one point says um, Lacey was amazing. Or he says something, you know, was, describing right? her, but he uses the past term, past tense. Yeah. So, you know, immediately, and this is uh, before, you know, anybody has know, knows what happens, um, so anyway, so, you know, he, he doesn't take a polygraph, which we've talked about. He I would not it, take a polygraph. He? He, refused, Say what? he refused a polygraph, right? Right. Yeah, he did not. He would not take one, um, which I can't fault him. I wouldn't either. Um, there, you know, there is a, they did a candlelight vigil and there is a picture of him smiling and laughing at this candlelight vigil. Um, he's not really showing any emotion. And if you're thinking this sounds a lot like Gone Girl, you're on to something because Gillian Flynn actually used this case as the basis for that book. Ah, Have you read that or seen the movie? I've seen the movie. Oh my God. You should read the book. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, so, so she obviously, so that's the the speculation that she left him because he was a douche. Yeah. So there are people that actually believe that theory. I don't know that that actually ever was a theory in Lacey Peter in Lacey Peterson's story. That okay. that's for sure the Gone Girl thing, um, but I'm not sure that that was ever a theory in Lacey Peterson. So, all right, so let's talk about Amber Fry. Oh yeah, so let's dig into Amber. <laughs> Amber was a massage therapist. She was Slutty a single massage mom. Massage therapist. Look, I get massages. It's fucking great. So, <laughs> look, I'm not, I'm not here to judge anybody's occupation, especially when they make me feel good. Um, so she was a single mom, and she met him um, through a friend. She told her friend, you know, she was single and looking, and he told the same woman that he was single, and he was thinking about setting up an online profile um, that said absolute horn dog or something really fucking Ew. gross like that. So she's like, hey, I'd have just the girl for you. Here's my good friend, you know, absolute horn dog. Um, 
So they hook my friend up up with you. God. Yeah, exactly. So, so they get set up and he tells Amber that, um, he is not married and that he is a widower and that in early December that he tells her that this is going to be the first holiday he's spending without his wife. So remember, she doesn't go missing until December 24th, but in early December, he's telling Amber, this is the first holiday I'm spending without my wife. So Amber, I don't understand this, but I do believe it, but I, cause it was 2002, but it's still just mind blowing to me. She's not watching the news and she lives in Fresno and that's not too far from Modesto. And so she's not watching the news. She's not paying attention to anything until, um, I think her friend calls her or maybe she sees her friend gives her a newspaper. And that's when she sees Scott Peterson on the cover with his wife missing. So she doesn't know any of this until (laughs) this is weird until like after Christmas. And so she tells the police immediately um, and they take her to Radio Shack and they buy her this little thing that plugs into your phone and so that she can record all the phone calls. Um, I listened to so, all of these. Did you listen to any of them? Oh, yeah. Oh, they are a yeah. trip. It's, yeah. So he, um, in this A&E special, she says that as soon as they walk out of Radio Shack and they've got the thing plugged into her phone, he calls. And so she freaks out and the police have to be like, he doesn't know anything. Like, this is just a Calm coincidence. Calm the down. <laughs> But yeah, still the timing of that. Also, throw back to Radio Shack, which right? I don't think is open anymore. I um, loved Radio Shack. I know. But um, so they have, you know, they start recording hundreds of hours of these phone calls. Um, and specifically on New Year's Eve, he calls her. Oh, my God. And <laughs> he's Paris? like, hey, it's just I'm, I'm in Paris. The Eiffel Tower is so beautiful. <laughs> Look at the fireworks outside the Eiffel Tower. You know where he was? When candlelight vigil call, at the fucking candlelight vigil <laughs> for his wife. He's calling Amber um, and she knows ecstatic. that he's not in Modesto or um, that he's not in Paris. She knows he's in Modesto and has to pretend that she believes that he's in Paris for this. Do you think which, you could do that? Do you think you would be able to do that? No, I think I would. <laughs> I would like no, play that not. shit. I would act it out. <laughs> I would, I would not like, I would try and be as vague as possible. Like I would just, it would just be a lot of, Oh yeah. Oh, that sounds cool. Like it would just be that I wouldn't be able to actually play along and convince you. It would just, but he sounds narcissistic enough that that would probably be. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Sidebar side, mini sidebar here. So the mistress in the Chris Watts case, when she found out that he, his wife had disappeared and all that kind of shit and that he was suspected of murdering them, she went and Googled, um, what did people think of Amber Fry? And like Amber Fry was like oh, her little, do I need to get an attorney? And am I going to be like Amber Fry? Are people going to hate me? Like that was her only concern was if she was going to make some money, if she was going to be like Amber Fry. That should not be your first Google search. Isn't that fucked up? Well, along with like how to do anal sex and like all kinds of other weird shit that she Googled, but. But he's basically talking about how amazing it is to be in Paris and with the fireworks going off at the Eiffel Tower and blah, blah, blah. And the whole time she knows that he is in fact in Modesto. Yeah. So the police set up a press conference for her, um, but they don't actually say who is going to be speaking at the press conference. So it's just a lot of news anchors and coverage with, and they're going, amber? we don't know what this is going to be about. What they, they're setting it up with Amber. Yeah. So did she have an attorney by then? Um, I don't know. Cause I thought she had Gloria Allred. 
I I think she did by the time of the trial, but I don't know if she did or not for this. Okay, keep going. But so they set this up, and and there's all of this um, questioning. You know, what is this going to be about? They don't know anything, and out walks Amber Fry and she tells the whole story that she had a romantic relationship with Scott. He told her he was not married, that he was a widower, um, and all of this stuff. And the reason that they actually did this was because the national Enquirer had found the pictures of them at the Christmas party oh, and nice. they were going to release them. So the police had to, cause they hadn't told, um, either Lacey's family or Scott's family that they knew about her. So then they have to immediately go and talk to the families and say, hey, this is coming out. Heads Damage up. And then they control. do this presser. Yeah. Say again. Damage control. Yeah, right. So after the press conference, Lacey's family immediately, they had been supporting him, but immediately they turned on him. You know, we can't trust you. We don't know who you are and all of this. Um, and then the coverage just gets even crazier because – Scott was at Cal Poly at the same time as a girl named Kristen Smart, who is missing and still is missing. This is an unsolved case. So she was walking home on campus from a party. Um, and somebody, I be, it's been a long time since I've looked this up, but I believe somebody was a friend was a male friend was walking her home. Um, and met up with another person who then said he would take her the rest of the way or she walked the rest of the way by herself. But either way, she doesn't make it back home and she's been missing since. Um, so this is still unsolved, but so they start talking about this and it just becomes super sensationalized and they didn't find any link between Scott and Kristen smart, but just the whole, you know, everything around him is just everything you can possibly imagine. Is news is coming is out is going to be on twenty-four hour news cycle, right? Yeah. And Nancy Grace gets involved, and you oh my know, god, she is have you seen those interviews? Abrasive. I just want to oh, smack yeah. her. She's just she, too much. You know, she's she's very abrasive. And the thing I actually remember, like that comes to mind immediately when thinking about Nancy Grace, is the Casey Anthony stuff, you know, just like she, but she, so her, you know, if you don't know her background was she was a prosecutor in Georgia. Um, and she, the reason she became a prosecutor was she was in college in undergrad, um, and was in finals of her senior year or you know, finals of toward the end of her college career and her boyfriend slash fiance was murdered. And so that's kind of how she ended up going into law. She didn't have any intention of going to law. So she does and she becomes a prosecutor and then she becomes a TV personality. And she, when you actually listen to what she says, she actually does say a lot of really good stuff. It's just, you have to get past the The way she's saying. The delivery is less than appealing in many ways. She's very intelligent. I'm not, I'll I'll give her that. Yeah. But she's just a little bit annoying. Like, um, like, a very aggressive Matlock. Like she has that really thick Southern accent and she's, she's very abrasive, but she actually is very smart. And I think she was pretty good at her job as a prosecutor. Um, so at this point, Scott is actually, um, living in San Diego because that's where he grew up. That's where his brother lives and his parents They actually live in La Jolla. Um, so he's living, he's staying down there to kind of Get the lay low. Yeah, lay low. Um, and then there are reports that a couple walking their dog at San Francisco Bay found um, a male fetus that had washed up on shore. Um, Can you imagine how horrifying that would be? 
Uh, no, I can't. I was, that's what I was thinking when, when I was watching that. I, I, so, and there's very little information about this, but according to some reports of leaked autopsy, um, there were rings of duct tape around the fetus's neck. So it had been born. Well, it was, no. it, was it cut out of her? No. So she had, so a, maybe a day and a half later or a couple days later, um, a, they find a torso. So there are no limbs. There's no head. They just find a torso and it takes them a while to identify, yeah. um, the remains. And it comes back that that is Lacey and her son who, um, they were going to name him Connor. Yeah. Um, and so what they think happened was that cause her body did not have any internal organs except for the uterus. Um, and her cervix was actually intact. So she had not given birth and it didn't appear that she, that the baby had been cut out of her body. Um, they think what happened was there was duct tape around maybe Lacey's body. Oh. And when she died and the gases expelled the baby, that it got wrapped up around the baby. So do you think he duct taped her to something to keep her sunk? Yeah, probably. Like, why not just tie a fucking rope? Like, why would you duct tape somebody to, like, an anchor? Like, that just seems so Uh, stupid. And, I mean, you know, and and all they found was a torso. You know, and to my knowledge, they've not found any other parts. That's horrifying. So the fact that you did this with your eight-month – anyway, so um, they arrest Scott. They're following him around for a long time and he's driving for, you know, an hour, whatever, all over San Diego. He's driving erratically. He's, you know, speeding and all of this. And they, they finally arrest him as he's pulling into the Torrey Pines golf uh, club. (laughs) So he's going to go golfing. He's going to have a day of golf with his brother and dad. Um, and they arrest him in La Jolla. And when they do, they, they look, look through his car and he has his brother's driver's license, $15,000 in cash. He has dyed his hair and his beard blonde, which he didn't have a beard when this whole thing started. So he grew a beard and dyed his hair and his beard blonde. Um, and he has, you know, a lot of clothes and all of this. And he claims that he was living in his car. Uh-huh. Um, right. Which may, I mean, maybe, but, and, and he had four cell phones. You know, and so, okay, so you dye your hair and your beard because you want to kind of disappear. Okay, maybe. So you have, Amber Frey is, like, out of the picture at this point. Yeah, she. I mean, she's, she's they, I don't know that they they're, had it they're out. communicating anymore. <laughs> you know, and so you dye your hair because you want to kind of disguise yourself. Okay, you have your brother's driver's license because he lives in San Diego and you want to get the resident discount at the golf club. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. How do you explain four cell phones and fifteen thousand dollars in cash? There's no reason you have you that much cash in banks. on you. <laughs> you know, unless you're trying to go across the border. Yeah, uh, which is what they think that he was doing, and he they think make that it they run for the border. They yeah, they caught him kind of right before. Um, so they arrest him and wait, weren't there back. wasn't there drugs in his car too, like Viagra and some shit in there? Yes, he had a <laughs> lot of Viagra. I forget the exact quantity. I'm glad you brought that up. But he had like twelve pills of Viagra or something crazy. Let me look that up. I mean, that's not excessive, but it's like really, what the fuck do you need twelve Viagra pills for, you loser? Right. Um, let's see. Where is this? Uh, 
blah, blah, blah. Yeah, 12 Viagra tab- tablets, $15 in cash, survival gear, camping equipment, several changes of clothes, four cell phones, two driver's licenses, his and his brother's. Um, which some of that stuff you can, I can see if you're living out of your car, okay. But really, really, I don't, I don't see any reason you have $15,000 in cash in an envelope and four cell phones. What kind of car I don't know was how it? You get away with say it. what kind of car it was. Um, it was a, they didn't say, but there was a picture of it. Um, like it was like Honda an older Civic. Mercedes. Oh, an older Mercedes. Okay. Now we're styling. Yeah. I think it was probably like maybe his family's car or parents or car. I don't think that was maybe his car. I think that was like a family thing. Um, so he is arrested and brought back and he is put on trial, um, and convicted of, um, let's see. He was charged with two felony counts of murder with premeditation and special circumstances, which special circumstances in California means you're eligible for the death penalty. Um, so he pled not guilty. Um, and they tried to move the, the, the um, trial because his defense attorney said that everybody that had gotten so much attention that everybody had already made up their mind. He couldn't get a fair trial, blah, blah, blah. Um, they actually did move his trial to San Mateo County. Um, and he was convicted of first like degree murder. People for in San wife. Mateo don't watch the news. Like, uh, right. I don't, I don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, yeah, it's at that, at this point it was basically like trying to find an, um, a jury for OJ, right? Like everybody knows about this. Yeah. You know? And so, um, he was convicted of first degree murder for his wife and second degree murder for Connor. Um, the judge sentenced Scott to death, calling the murder of Lacey cruel, uncaring, heartless, and callous. He um, must have so had some is, evidence on this, though, that they did not fully disclose to the general populace. Because the way it looks is like, how could they possibly prove that he actually did it? You know what I mean? Right. Um, I don't know... I don't know that they had more than circumstantial evidence. But I mean, they know because where I, he was on that day. They know he took his right. boat around there. So, I mean, I guess they just kind of put the two and two together, but it seems as though it would take a little bit more of a direct link to be able to get a conviction and the death penalty. Right. And my understanding is they did, they never were able to determine a, um, a cause of death for Lacey. Right. Cause they didn't have a head. But, right. So, yeah, so I don't know, and I think that's kind of what this special was about, that it, all of the evidence was just circumstantial, because they didn't have any physical evidence other than this one strand of hair and rusted pliers, which pliers would get rusty if you were around a lot of salt water. Just FFR. Um, so the interesting thing about this is when I actually went to look stuff up for this podcast um a lot of stuff recently came up because he is on death row at san quentin yes and yesterday the governor of california um signed an injunction on all death row cases so he has it's not a law but he has effectively said that he will not sign off on any um executions while he is governor so this he scott peterson was still in the appeals process but Uh they were you know all of the articles were about how you know this would effectively make him have a life sentence, which that's not really news because it's been since 2006, I think since the last time California actually executed somebody. So yeah. it kind of already was a life sentence. Um, you know, there's a lot of questions about 
the drugs that they're using in the death penalty cocktail and, and all of that. So there's bit, I mean, but that's a whole Just other discussion the on head. the death penalty, you know, Just shoot them in the head, call it a day. I don't think that, you know, actually in Utah, there was somebody who I always heard about this. It was up through after I graduated high school. So 2002, and I want to say he maybe was killed and executed in 2004, 2005. But when he was convicted, yep. When he was convicted, they still had the firing squad and they, you can phase request it out, it. but if you were convicted when that was still a mo- mode of execution, you could request that you were grandfathered in. And so he did request the, the firing squad. And I think that also happened in another Northwestern state, but I know for sure it was in Utah. Um, so yeah, but that was, so that's the story of, of Scott Peterson. And there's a lot of speculation on this case. There's a lot of conspiracy theories. There's a lot of people who say he didn't do it. I mean, there's a lot of stuff floating around about this case. You know, I think that I feel about this one the way that um, I feel about the making a murderer thing is that if he didn't do it, a lot of things had to go wrong for him to be convicted. Right, He had to be like the most unlucky man in the world. Right. A lot of things had to fall into place to make it look like he did it. Like Amber Frey said, you've just got to be the unluckiest. <laughs> exactly. Clip. And so uh, while they haven't, while I didn't see necessarily anything to convince me one way or the other, I just, to me, like logically, I just feel like, I, I mean, I think he did it. I don't have any doubt in my mind that well, he did it. But like, I, I think it's because of that. A lot, Just a lot of things had to go exactly wrong yeah. for him to be convicted, you yeah. know? And, you know, why would he act so shady and run and do all that other shit if he wasn't guilty, you know? Right, right. He just kind of played into all everyone's, like, suspicions by acting all, right. cra- all cray-cray. And one of the local um, news reporters was saying, it, as soon as they had the press conference with Amber Fry, he was like, oh— He's not, he's innocent of killing his wife. He was hiding this affair. That's what he was hiding. Oh my God, I remember that. And it's I like, was like, whatever. No. He what was the fuck ever? Because he knew how it looked. Yeah, that's what uh, Chris Watts tried to say too. He right. was like, oh, I lied, but it wasn't about murdering my wife. I lied about having an affair. And that's why I right. was, that's why I, I didn't pass the polygraph because I was nervous about lying about the affair, not about killing my, my family. Which I, I just, I don't understand because at that point you're basically saying, okay, you think I murdered somebody, but I don't want the public to think I'm a bad guy. Right. <laughs> we are too late. What? <laughs> we already what? do. What is this logic <laughs> that we're dealing with? <laughs> So this is sort of, we scraped the surface here. We got into a little bit of detail, but I mean, the douchebag spouses. We need to talk about some women who kill their husbands. (laughs) Just so we can have some retribution here for for women across the world. I mean, well, there's Lorena Bobbitt. She got retribution. New episode. (laughs) We have to have a whole episode to talk about that. You've got to watch that special on Amazon. It's really good. Uh, for sure. Yeah. All right, folks, this is where we say goodbye for now. So long, farewell. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Also, if you have questions, comments, or suggestions, please shoot us an email. We love to respond to your emails. I'm going to start reading some of those next week, fingers crossed, if time permits. 
The BFD podcast at gmail.com is our email address. We will also put it in the show notes along with some information on the topics we talked about tonight. Please join us again next week when we talk more about weird, wacky, and wild stuff. Good night, podcast peeps. Stay safe, keep it real, and always live your best life. Bye. Bye.